Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 40 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about Mickey's Christmas Carol. I believe this is the fourth version of A Christmas Carol that we're covering on this podcast. And honestly, we're just scratching the surface. There are so many adaptations of Charles Dickens's 1843 novella, A Christmas Carol. This one is the Disney version, uh, adapted by Bernie Mattinson, Tony Marino, Ed Gombert, Don Griffith, and Alan Young, and Alan Dinehart. Another committee adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're specializing in them. Uh, apparently we are. <laughs> late, late in this podcast, everything that we're getting is a little bit uh, committee committee by numbers. Uh, this one actually, though, has a little bit of an interesting history because Alan Young and Alan Dinehart, the last two people I mentioned, they actually spearheaded Disney's first attempt at, at cracking the Dickens uh, Christmas Carol story. They actually uh, spearheaded a 1974 album that Disney put out, an album, like a vinyl record. And I think it was called an adaptation of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Did you have any of those, any of those Disney albums that are just like, like stories, basically? I didn't. This one was like full musical. This had like four or five songs on it. Yeah. It was, uh, it was essentially this movie, except for the fact that they stripped out all but one of the songs for the movie version that we watched, this 25 minute film short version. Uh, they converted all of the song lyrics essentially to dialogue and they changed some weird things. They changed two of the ghosts, ghost of past and the ghost of present were changed. Uh, we can get into fast facts later. And they actually changed who the characters were that played the collectors, oddly enough. But otherwise, it was essentially the same exact story. It was Scrooge McDuck's story where he steps in as Ebenezer Scrooge. So, yeah. So, 1974, uh, first time actually Alan Young plays or does the voice of Scrooge McDuck. This is the first uh, film, the first animation featuring Alan Young uh, doing the voice of Scrooge McDuck. He had, uh, he had just taken the role over. That's funny. So this one premiered in the UK on October 20th, 1983 with a re-release of The Jungle Book and December 16th, 1983 in the US in front of a re-release of The Rescuers. That's so funny. What a time that was. I was like what, six, seven years old, something like that. So cute. Um, and then it first aired on NBC on December 10th, 1984. And like like so many of these Christmas, especially these Christmas half hour shows, uh, it became a staple, uh, ran for years, maybe even still runs maybe on ABC Family now. Uh, but for, you know, a full generation, it, it just became kind of an annual, you know, classic on ABC or NBC. And they would pair it with other Disney winter shorts that they had, like Joy of Skiing. There were a couple other Christmas yeah. ones that Disney came up with over the years that they would front in the beginning. And then this would be like the 8.30 p.m. would take over. And you can catch this one on Disney Plus now. So that you can watch it anytime you like. 
why don't you hit us with this one sentence plot though i think all of our listeners at this point are pretty familiar <laughs> with this don't one no you guys this is a classic disney animated characters play the roles in this animated retelling of the charles dickens masterpiece pretty straightforward pretty straightforward uh let's talk a little bit about the voice cast because i don't know about you scrooge mcduck is a favorite of mine ducktales was the anchor was the kickoff show of the disney cartoon block after i would get home from school i feel like i have to go like woo at the end of a hundred percent i watched it i watched it religiously it was i watched the whole block usually but ducktales was the one that i was there for i you know i would i would stay for tailspin and gummy bears and wherever else they were like you know they were doing Darkwing Duck later on but DuckTales yes. was the anchor it was the only Disney video game that I have was the DuckTales game oh, uh, yeah where you would you would use his cane was his weapon and oh, uh, he also used it as a pogo stick um, <laughs> yeah so uh, and you know Alan Young was the voice from this movie on until he passes away in 2016 he is the official voice of Scrooge McDuck I realized this was the first Christmas Carol version I ever saw of any before i even saw the muppets i realized this was the one that i had seen as a very same youngster uh and so as soon as i heard his voice now i thought to myself i was like this has to be the same guy who's doing the voice acting from ducktales like it was my childhood instantly transported and well, and, and it was so, and it I was love that you're describing it that way because there's so much of this movie that made me feel the exact same way like i couldn't think of the last time i watched mickey mouse you know yes we watched tons of disney but when's the last time you sat down and saw just mickey doing his mickey thing mick it has been a long day since i've seen you and i missed you especially donald duck too i was like donald I have not heard your wacky laugh in so long, despite the fact that we, <laughs> we watch Disney all the time. But these these beloved characters have been overtaken with, with all these newer, fancy characters. And I'm like, boys, I missed you. I, there's so much, there's so much uh, beginnings and endings with the voices of these characters. Now, it's funny that you mentioned that you hadn't seen Mickey Mouse in so long. And we don't see a lot of Mickey Mouse. Honestly, we really don't. This had been, so this is 1980. This was the first animated short that featured Mickey Mouse that Disney had produced since The Simple Things from 1953. It had been 30 years since the world had seen any kind of Mickey Mouse animation, new Mickey Mouse animation. There had been re-releases and things that they would repackage. Is that crazy? I mean, he is like such the cornerstone. Uh, You know, for the house that the mouse built. uh, Yeah, for them not to do anything. But you have to remember, though, uh, all of the original voice actors, including Walt, who used to voice mickey um, walt passes away in the 60s right he, he famously passes away before walt disney world even opens donald duck uh, clarence nash he's this is his last performance as donald duck and he is the last of the original voice actors the of the core six disney characters so of mickey minnie donald daisy pluto and uh, uh goofy Clarence Nash is the last one living and and he passes away two years after this comes out. He passes away in 1985. So this is his final performance as Donald Duck. So, you know, I think it's a little bit, especially with Walt having done Mickey, there was probably some reticence on who's going to do that voice, who is going to be that right feeling. Well, and these days they've kind of relegated these original characters to be almost like the preschool crowd. You know, Mm. you got like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and that kind of stuff. And like, you know, all just all the little member toodles. Did you ever watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? house sure. kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so total. Remember, toodles! 
that. I love toodles. So all that business, like, I feel like they kind of made it to where, like, once we got older, we're supposed to, like, leave Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and all behind. And we're supposed to be into all these new characters. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm kind of aching for my original crew. If Clarence Nash sounded right to you, he should. But everyone else is kind of new here. So we talked about how Alan Young, he had taken over as Scrooge McDuck from Bill Thompson, who had done the voice from the 60s when Scrooge McDuck was created. He passes away in 1971. So Alan Young, the next time Scrooge McDuck appears, is in the 1974 album of this Christmas Carol, then doesn't appear again until this in 1983. Does the name Alan Young ring a bell for you? I had to look up, like, it rang a bell, but I had to look up why I knew the name. Was he a Mr. Ed? Yeah. Wilbur. He was Wilbur in uh, Mr. Ed. But I, I don't know. I can't do his impression, but I can do I can do Mr. Ed saying Wilbur. So <laughs> that was a Nick and Knight staple when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. So he was like a real actor. Actually, Disney didn't even want to real approach actor. them. <laughs> you know, the, he had done the album and he had been a spearhead of the album. When it came time to cast for this, Disney didn't want to approach him because they didn't think he'd be interested. He has a great quote. Essentially, he says, uh, hey, I worked in television for five years with a talking horse. At this point in my career, nothing's beneath me. <laughs> you know, and as it happened, he he was beloved for the role. It took off. He was this was a well received performance. And like I said, he took over the voice of Scrooge until he passed away in 2016. So wow. yeah, kind of crazy. And Mickey Mouse, he hadn't been seen in any animation. Is there some rationale behind why they would tuck him away for 30 years? Well, I well, I think it had to do with I think it had to do with Walt Disney passing away at least at least the back end of that because I think okay. Walt I think Walt so passes like away in 65 or 60. Well, who's going to replace the voice? It's kind of like okay. how how do you replace Jim Henson, right? Yes, and I have my issues with Kermit's voice now. So. Sure, you know, and and I, I'm sure, I mean, oh boy, oh, you know, you could do a lot of that, but doing actual full speech and stuff is is kind of rigorous. So Wayne Allwine, who does the voice of Mickey Mouse here, he's brand new to the role. He had done an animation for the Mickey Mouse Club TV series, the version that was airing in the 70s. He had done one animation as the voice of Mickey Mouse, but this is also really his breakout role. This is his first film role of of doing Wayne of doing Mickey Mouse. Wayne Allwine continues to do Mickey Mouse until 2009. This was a launchpad for the Mickey Mouse voice uh, for voices. And he was the longest tenured actor to voice the character, holding the role for 32 years. Wow, that is crazy. He's probably the one we, you and I, best know. Uh, yeah, that's actually probably very true. Another fun fact, uh, just of longevity, and Disney is such a company that holds onto its people. Uh, I mentioned Bernie Mattinson, who's the director here, Burnett Bernie Mattinson. He's officially <laughs> the longest serving employee of the Walt Disney Company. He actually wow. joins the Disney Company in 1953 in the mailroom. 1953, the last year they had done anything with Mickey Mouse, right? The simple things. And he's actually still alive and still technically employed with Disney. He is officially the longest serving employee with the Disney company. Wild. So, Very wild. cool. Yeah. So a lot a lot of fun little behind the scenes history. And this movie, I mean, I don't know how much you know, but Disney animation was in bad shape in the 80s. Yes, I do know. Yes. The, I mean, when it's the rescuers and all this, I mean, those were these are not the ones that you like. No. <laughs> zoom in on as the most beloved they released this ahead of the rescuers which is a re-release the rescuers is actually from 1977 they're not mm -hmm. even coming up with anything new this is in 1983 they're just re-releasing that movie and like you said in the Struggling. uk re-releasing the jungle book you know you have the great mouse detective 
And what else? I mean, they're getting their butt handed to them by like Don Bluth, right? Doing oh, all dogs yeah. go to heaven and Oliver <laughs> and stuff, right? You so have no idea how much I know about Don Bluth. It's it's he is the beloved one of our household for that section of time. Um, my middle kid is all about Don Bluth. He's eating Disney's lunch. I mean, he's yeah. he's the one getting it done in the eighties. It's not until Little Mermaid comes swimming up, uh, you know, wanting to walk on land in nineteen eighty nine that the Disney animation renaissance kind of takes over. So. This movie is super important to Disney because there was so little going on with their division at this time. It was close to like shuttering their doors. Uh, that's, that's, how, that's how bad it was. This is a pretty standard version of A Christmas Carol in a very condensed form. We've seen a bunch of these now. And later on, I'm going to ask you to rank them, Caroline. But you're Man, just... I feel unprepared for that, but I'm going to try. General impressions-wise, how does this version hit you? What's your takeaway from watching this version? I was really satisfied with it. It felt like a delightful, filling snack. Like, I didn't need the full 10-course meal. I just wanted, like, this little bite's uh feeling that like i i just i got everything i needed out of it i saw a bunch of old familiar friends it was all very palatable like if i had like littler kids with me or old grandma or whatever it was all like very understandable put a smile on your face and you still came away with the moral you know you understood we're supposed to be good and generous at christmas time or bad things for you so i mean for me i loved it super satisfying now, uh, one of the things I think we both liked probably were there were a lot of cameos of characters from the Disney archives that we hadn't seen in a long time uh, that hadn't probably been done with anything in a long time to begin with. And now us here in 2021 probably haven't seen in a dog's age. What were some of the cameos that stuck out where, that made you go, hey, it's that guy? Kind of like we do with <laughs> Muppets, right? I think we both had the same reaction to Muppets. They put some Muppets in the background that yeah. we both were like, hey, you know, we haven't seen that Muppet in forever. I felt a little bit like that here, too. <laughs> um, Definitely the Wind in the Willows game. I mean, I thought they were like so cute. I love them. I kept saying, you guys, you remember Mr. Dold's Wild Ride? Like I just kept talking about that. The one that stuck out to me really fast was the um, the mom, Mother Rabbit. That's what her name was, um, where she was from Robin Hood. Um, when I saw her please, in the please, background. Please, 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 please. It's Robin Hood. Okay. You have, to, you have to say it like Prince John. When I saw her with her little babushka on, I was like, Mother <laughs> Rabbit, I see you. I see you back there. And I just, I miss all these characters. This is from such a time for me. Huey, Dewey, and Louie, seeing them. I feel like, you know, one of the ones that we like so rarely see anymore ever in anything is Chip and Dale. And they were like my sister's favorite when we were all younger. And so seeing Chip and Dale around, I was like, yay, I miss you guys. How about for you? What were like some of the ones that made you smile. The Owl, Otto from Robin Hood, they were all kind of here. Uh, Robin Hood is a probably top three Disney movie for me. Maybe my favorite Disney pre, like, The Little Mermaid on uh, generation of movies. Like, so the movies predating that, Robin Hood is probably hands down my favorite. I love Lil John. I, I love the whole thing. I just like, <laughs> he's a sexy fox and and I don't know he's got just some BDE and I'm just a big fan of the Robin Hood I love everything made Marion she's a little hottie patati with her veil and stuff I, I just it always worked for me as a kid like oof, yeah I, I really really enjoyed Robin Hood it's my favorite telling of the story Lady Cluck she's also my favorite she's always like Ooh. 
<laughs> also, I was a fan of Chippendale Rescue Rangers, so it was fun to see them. And again, DuckTales and Huey, Dewey, and Louie were a big part of that, right? Because Donald was in the Navy, I guess, or whatever. And he, oh, was, yeah. he was an absentee uncle dad in, uh, in DuckTales. They didn't, they didn't have parents. They just, everybody's always uncles. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. Where's their moms and dads? Hey, you know, ducks are weird. They just kind of lay the eggs and let nature <laughs> take its course. It's kind of like turtles on the beach. I don't know, but then also like that, like Mickey and Minnie are like, aren't really married or anything. Like they're always like girlfriend and boyfriend. They're always just wooing each other. It's a whole so, thing. Yeah, well, so the little Muppets, uh, the little mice that are his kids in this movie, I believe canonically are nephews of Mickey Mouse. How funny that you said little mice. I never think of them as little mice. <laughs> well, I couldn't. I couldn't. I was no, trying to. Right. Yeah, Mickey yeah. Mouse, they're obviously little mice, but I just never think of them like that. This is one of the very few times ever that the nephews, Mickey's nephews, have been seen on film. I guess they exist in comic strips that have been done in comic books that have oh, been done yeah. to Mickey Mouse. but. You mean like Morty and Ferdy, right? Yeah, yeah. This is one of the yeah, only times yeah, they ever okay. appeared in like a featurette, any kind of like long version of, mm. you know, film animation. So, funny. yeah, it's like one of the things like, or did they just make those up? Did they just birth them for purposes of this movie? Yeah, but it's like the Muppets too. I mean, remember they have like little, little pigs and, and little frogs and whatnot like that don't, they don't have children otherwise, you know, so it's funny. So Minnie Mouse, she's in this movie. She plays Mrs. Cratchit. Uh, she was a, she she was just wallflower, man. She was there, but she didn't say a thing. She said no thing. She has no, no lines things. in this. So, Rusie Taylor, this was her per- first vocal performance as Minnie Mouse, recorded lines as Minnie Mouse playing Mrs. Cratchit, and they were all cut. Which really actually doesn't make sense. And watching it, I watched this a couple of times because it was so short. So I watched it just to see what I missed. There are a couple of scenes where she clearly should have some response. Tiny Tim is talking to her. Tiny Tim is like interacting with her. The family is interacting with her. And she just kind of like shies or bows smiling. her head or smiles. <laughs> or she puts yeah. the, she puts a little sparrow on the, on the, like, doesn't say anything. What's wrong with you, Minnie Mouse? Your joy has been <laughs> taken from you. But no, Lucy Taylor, yeah, uh, she also went on to continue to voice Minnie Mouse. This is her first gig, but it all wound up on the cutting room floor. I like this one a lot because one, you kind of got in, you get out. It's it's refreshing to see these characters that you don't get to see. It's a very old style version of animation that we don't see anymore. Very kind of hand drawn uh, animation that you know with computers that we don't get anymore. This is the ideal entry point version of this story for me for kids. That's why I really liked it. I feel the exact same way. Like, it feels like it's so palatable. It's so easy to understand. It takes you in like a big hug and is like, listen, we need to tell you this little bit, but it's only going to be like, honestly, you say 25 minutes, but if you cut out that first beginning, just the music, that was like three minutes in. Like, I was kind of laughing that I was like, oh, this is already much shorter <laughs> once the, once they just start the story. So, I, I mean, I really think this is a great starting point for trying to understand the reason for the season and kindness and, and all the different things that all the other movies are stretching to do, but this just does it so well and honestly did you miss all the extra or did you feel like man these stories could be told just this short like you really got it you really you really really get it so you have pete and Pete, Pete is a real jerk face, and I'm not a fan of Pete ever, right? Pete, Pete is a great Disney villain. And so him as the ghost of future, Christmas future, 
you know, really works. But the idea of him smoking so much that he's making it literally smoky and foggy in the graveyard is kind of a wild take. It's a very 1983 take where, you know, we were still allowed to see cigarette smoking kids movies, uh, you know, and him puffing away. And yes, the coffin and the fire and the damnation is a little much. But I, I, of all the versions of A Christmas Carol that we've seen, I feel like this was the most mild, non-terrifying version of the story. They didn't, they don't hammer you over the head with, with Tiny Tim's death. You know, you and I, I think, sat here crying for about five minutes when we were listening to the clip of Kermit mm-hmm. tell Miss Piggy about Tiny Tim being buried on the side of the hill with a view of the river. Jesus, just, ta- just talking about it now is like making me like get all like misty-eyed, but they just show you here. They show that you Mike, him. It's got to be one of the first times as a little guy you ever saw a cemetery sure. in a cartoon. I mean, I think it's kind of scaled age-wise because they never talk is. about him dying. Even when even when Scrooge is talking to Willie the Giant about what's going to happen if things don't change, they never go they never finish the sentence. It's I I see an empty table. I see an empty chair at the table for Tiny Tim. It's just a visual of Mickey holding the crutch before he lays it at the at the tombstone. So if you're not old enough to understand what death looks like and you only know the word, well then this isn't going to maybe hit you so hard or it'll it'll make you feel something but you're not quite sure what. If you're old enough to understand what death looks like and what a cemetery is, this is still kind of a mild version of it versus other versions that we've seen of the it. ducks and everything. Remember all that? Oh, I That's just I, I don't even I I, I don't I can't even. <laughs> I, I, can't, like, don't I, talk about I can't even because I'm going to pull it up and I'll make us both cry. I will play the clip oh, and we will sit are here. You going to- I won't. I'm not going to do that. But I, but if you continue to talk about it, I will. And then we will both sit here and cry <laughs> for 20 minutes. Just block your ears for a second. For those of you who don't remember, just that little duck scene having to do with him wanting to watch the ducks and everything. Very sweet. And I, But I agree with you, Mike, so much that this is so lovingly, carefully, gently told that, that it is as much as you can understand at each each plot point, really. I mean, if, if you don't really get everything that's going on with Marley, even, um, I mean, Marley can be a very scary character in most of the tellings because, you know, he's the original, the first ghost that comes to him. And so you don't know that's going to happen. And it's frightening when it first happens in most retellings. Right. But then when you add it as it's goofy, goofy, though, it's <laughs> right. and then you get the goofy yell down the stairs and oh, and watch oh out for that first step, you know, and so and he honks funny. his nose when he turns into the knocker, yes. which is <laughs> right out of the story i actually just started reading the novella today actually in preparation of this and that's like right out of the story a scrooge that's approaches funny. the door and the knocker turns into marley's face kind of thing which i've always assumed was part of the story because you see it in a lot of the tellings yeah, it happens in almost all uh, yeah and so and you know but turning into goofy space and then he honks his nose and he's like oh you know kind of thing because <laughs> you had to talk about it now <gasps> we have to listen to I it oh you how was the churchyard well, it'll be lovely emily it would have done you good to see how green the place is. I, I picked a spot for Tim where he can see. Uh, it's, it's a spot on the hill. And you can see the ducks on the river. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim always loved watching the ducks on the river. God damn it. You are terrible. <laughs> Me every do time. That at us. <laughs> every time. God. It's so sweet. It is and he gets so, so choked sweet. up. He can't even continue and Piggy has to jump in. Oh, 
God. Anyway, I'm talking about maybe the most emotional of the 40 weeks of, of this podcast <laughs> that we've done. Well, definitely. Uh, but they time. avoid all that here. So it's perfect for the six, seven-year-old set. It's, it's so gentle. gentle. This eases into it, it. You can go younger than that. I think you can be – because it's only 20 minutes when you actually get down The hellfire of the coffin, though, is a bit much – when you're when you're that and i gotta tell you the thing that i remembered most when i watched this was when pete finally speaks and he's like it's your grave and he pushes him into the thing like that pete gravelly voice like that big evil cat gravelly voice i was like oh my god i remember that like (laughs) like that like totally made like a mark on me like it was uh it was definitely ingrained somewhere in the back of my brain that i didn't remember Oh gosh, I you know I I was talking about that opening scene being being kind of short and everything, but um but you know that it was actually modeled on Carl Banks' painting and it was called The Season to Be Jolly and 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 it actually features Scrooge walking down the street with his bag of money on his back and I think that I think that all of the I just keep wanting to say the gentleness, but like the simplicity in not only the storytelling, but even things like that, where it's like a painting and you're kind of starting this whole little like journey. I Mm -hmm. I really think even little ones would understand. I taught three and four year olds and and I'm telling you that I really honestly believe that they would understand, okay, this guy, he's, he's starting this like down this little path. Like, I really think that they would get more of it. And you're right. I think that, I mean, pushing anyone in a grave at any point in time, anywhere, (laughs) in any movie, in any story is horrifying but i think that they do a good job of balancing it with voices like owl and kenga and um you know those familiar voices that are out there from Hal smith i think that you're hearing a lot of those little voices that are around in there that i just i think that it's all very soothing is what i'm trying to say it is and it's not like he goes straight in right i mean he's holding onto the branch and it's very cartoony how he's kind yeah. of there and then he just winds up on the floor entangled upon his sheets on the floor and and then it, and then it resolves itself and there has to be a little tension it's a terrifying part of the book. It has to have the stakes to propel him over the edge to transformation. And even if, even for a little one to get the message, because otherwise, you know, by the time this comes out, people would have seen Yellowstone, right? You know, the new season of Yellowstone, there's a little bit of, you have to put a little bit of fear in someone to make, to alter their behavior. Maybe now they've gone too far in Yellowstone, but this idea of if there aren't stakes and there's not real like cost to continuing down a road of bad behavior, then you're not going to change. You'll be able to walk yourself back from the edge of becoming a better person. So you have to flirt with being thrown into a fiery coffin to feasibly wake up a brand new man on Christmas morning. What did you think of, Oh, what a Merry Christmas day, which is because you mentioned the opening and the, the little vignette of the, of, of Scrooge in the setting with the sack over his back, but you have, Oh, what a Merry Christmas day playing over that. Now, I heard that song and I did not connect that. That was a, a Christmas song from this movie. I know that song. It, it, it was reminiscent to me. That is the genius of this movie for me right now at this stage of my life. Everything seemed familiar, but I couldn't right, necessarily right. tell you it was from this movie. You know, it just felt like, oh, my gosh, everything is like it's like coming home. And it was like looking around in like your old town and you're like, I know you. I remember that. And it was like just these small little things and, and including 
like we said, all those voice actors where you started off this conversation, like it didn't matter if those particular characters were in here or not. There were there's parts of all voice characters voices where you can hear ranges of other characters in them. And so many of these guys played more than one character that I just feel like you were surrounded by the music and the voices of another time and and such a familiar like your home yeah will ryan actually who does the pete voice he i mean just to give you range he does pete but he's also doing willie the giant too and would go on to reprise the role of pete in ducktales just a few years later four years later when that show when that cartoon begins same as alan young who reprises the role as uh, as scrooge mcduck but yeah just these guys have so much range and they're able to do so so much and and do so much you know extra heavy lifting uh with their voices and giving really unique performances i i like like what you said about Kanga and and an owl and like they're all in there, right? Like you can hear them. There's a little bit of a balm there, and without even realizing it, you're 100 percent right. There is something very comforting. That's the that's the power of Disney, though, right? I mean, it's the reason yes. that people love going <laughs> to the parks. It's why people love their movies. There is there is a warm blanket. You're gonna be okay. Feeling about Disney, especially when you're dealing with the original core Disney characters that seep into all childhoods no matter where you come from no matter what your walk of life is it, even i think still today it's hard to avoid disney and and the cast of characters they they just find a way i think for our age group it's absolutely impossible because it's a part of every it, i mean it was here before we were born so for us we've never had a time without mickey mouse that's you know it does it doesn't exist so these characters are our entire lifetime it's been different versions of these guys whether it's you know greeting us after school every day you know like you were saying or whether we're seeing it in the big in the big movie theater with our mom and dad like looking up at the screen you know with our little tiny faces or we're bringing our own kids to go see stuff yeah, I mean, this is us, right? At our age and stage. Let me ask you a question, because please, uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert, uh, and they're at the movies for 1983. The week this comes out, this was one of the movies they reviewed, including they also reviewed Scarface this week. Funny, fascinating week for them. <laughs> yeah, and they both gave this a <laughs> thumbs down. And their general, oh. their their big criticism was twofold. For Ebert, it was they both agreed that. The movie suffered because Mickey Mouse is not a major player. In fact, he's a very minor player, especially for Bob Cratchit, especially when you compare it to other versions that we've seen. This version of Bob Cratchit has maybe the least amount to do and maybe the least amount of screen time. And that's the role, obviously, being played by Mickey Mouse. Well, being played by Wayne Al- Allwine playing Mickey Mouse. And so that was a big knock, giant knock for Siskel. But Ebert agreed. And then it was also that it doesn't do anything with the story, that it's a straight telling of the story of A Christmas Carol. Uh, Do either of those bother you? Okay, so in terms of the straight telling, no, I am not bothered by that at all, because I think that that is something that is actually very respectful of a classic. And it's the same thing that happened with the Muppet movie, where it was like one of the truest telling of the classic and so i it's kind of i don't know that feels very right on and i and i think it's great with kids when you can do that and actually tell the real story so that you don't kind of twist it in their head because a lot of us remember the stories as they were told when we were kids so it kind of it kind of messed them up when you like add in silly stuff that isn't really there then they think they know the story and later on as adults they're like no fool that wasn't ever in there you know so i think it's kind of great when they do that additionally 
the story is not about Bob Cratchit. I mean, it he is representative of, you know, workers who are being ignored or or being taken advantage of, but it's not his story. It's Scrooge's story. So I don't know that I feel, you know, that badly. I think that they showed us his family and they showed where he, his role was. I didn't need more Mickey necessarily. What the criticism was because that's the role that you they were essentially making a casting. They were making a casting criticism. Mickey, it's Mickey's Christmas Carol and Mickey has nothing to do with it. And Mickey is the face of Disney. And you've basically sidelined him in this project. But where would you put him instead? Well, I I agree with you. I I agree. I I agree with you. You can't have him play Scrooge. You know, what? Like, oh boy, you know, bah humbug. (laughs) You know, like, that's not going to work. Like, no, no. Right. And that's really the only other role. Well, I mean, you want there Mickey isn't. Mouse to be the face of optimism. I mean, if you if he can't be Fred the nephew who is Merry Christmas, Uncle, you know, then you but want that's him, even less. That's even less, and you want him to be the face of the optimist Bob Cratchit, who praises his boss Ebenezer, even in the face of the ill treatment that he gets, right? That's the that's the beauty of Bob and Tiny Tim and that whole family is they're still thankful and not resentful for what they have. They, they're the epitome of be thankful for what you have. You have to have Mickey do that role. That's Mickey's whole thing, you know, is there's a big, bright, beautiful tomorrow and Mickey is the face of that. That's what Bob and Tiny Tim represent to me. So that casting makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think you have to do some sort of ratio and proportion and say, like, the movie is 20 minutes long. It is the story of Ebenezer, you know, learning all these different lessons and becoming a better man. Bob Bob already already knows those lessons, right? Yeah, Yeah. And he and he does. I mean, he does do the great example, the role modeling of that with the amount of time he has. I mean, it's probably true. He's probably only on screen for a couple of minutes, but proportionally, that's a big chunk of the movie, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they got it totally wrong. I think they totally misunderstood the entire reason for making this. They they, they weren't doing it. But like even the Muppets, the Muppets futz around with the story and add their little Muppet spin to it. But they give a pretty classic telling, a great entry story telling of it. But even they do add a little bit of like, they zhuzh it up a little bit the way only Muppets can. But this is made for such an entry level young audience that is the target of this you need just like you said you need to give them the straight telling of the story in a very short abridged way so that they can go forth and have a basis for when they see versions of it later when the elements of the story get echoed all throughout pop culture they'll have this primer this 25 minute primer to draw back on and understand what people are talking about and the lessons that people are drawing from it yeah, I mean, you you said it right. I mean, I and I prefer as a teacher and and as a mom, I prefer when you're going to take a story and you're going to make it more simple and you're going to make it to where this is like your entry point. I would rather you be true to the story rather than add in silliness that later other people have to tell you, oh, that's embarrassing. You're like retelling the kid version of that or something. I'd rather them just 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 get it down to the nuts and bolts of the story and keep it real basic. And I think they did with it still being entertaining and and visually interesting and great songs and, and voices and stuff that were all very appealing. I mean, I think they did it. I don't know. For me, Siskel and Ebert, mm, I don't know. 
I, maybe it was because they were doing Scarface that week. They were just getting a little bit too much. And Silkwood the next week. That was in their coming attractions. Wow. So they were doing Silkwood uh, coming up. So, I mean, they were doing some heavy, they were doing some heavy thematic work. You think they would have been a little more easy on uh, the old Mickey's Christmas Carol here. But- and maybe they shouldn't have called it Mickey's Christmas Carol. Maybe they should have just called it Disney's Christmas Carol. I don't or know. Scrooge's Christmas Carol, you know, like I whatever. I mean, or Mickey I, or presents or something like Mickey's that. But pres- I like that. Maybe that. Maybe I mean, but if they're getting that held up on that, I right. mean, I don't know. Right. Well, you want the name recognition, right? We He's- talked about it last week. I, sometimes, you know, when you get down to the critics, I think that they see it from a certain POV and they don't really understand what audiences, real moms and dads sitting with little kids in a living room want to see. I 100% agree. And I think that that was why I brought it up, really, was I think it just hammers home the point that critics... Because you knew I said that. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I have a big bias. As someone who reviews and comments and critiques and writes and talks about TV and movies for a semi-living, I just don't understand critics. If I, I, I never want to become a critic who loses sight of the reason people go to see movies and watch TV shows. And I think so many critics do. We literally go through the exercise of sitting down and watching it with our kids. And so the fact that we do that, what we're telling you guys is how we would feel if we're sitting there with our kids and different age groups. And we can remember our kids when they're younger and stuff like that too. So we're not coming at you as like, you know, we have these film degrees and we're going to tell you what's what. We're coming at it like, what does it really feel like on a Friday night to put this movie on with your kids and your your grandmothers and whomever else? Right. And I'm not going to go show them 1951 black and white Alistair Sim, the the, the Crypt Keeper version of Scrooge when I have Scrooge McDuck that can teach them the same story in a fraction of the time. You got to know your audience, guys. Siskel, Ebert, you know, you got to know your audience a little bit. And I think they really missed the boat on it. That's why I wanted to bring it up, just to show that we were superior to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just coming from a different place. How about yes. that, right? We're coming from a very practical place. You know, we're yeah. the ones who, you know, you buy the toys. We're right? the down-home critics, right? Right. It's people we're like... the ones at home. The people who review toys that don't use the toy the way it's meant to be used versus people who review toys because their kids are chewing on it and throwing it around. It's right. (laughs) We're sitting there. We're playing with it. We're we're Tom Hanks and big. Right. There's a great scene in big where Tom Hanks goes into the focus group. They're all talking about these toys like there's a transformer building. I don't know how much you remember big. Remember big? Uh, they're 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 focus testing this skyscraper. It's a transformer. It goes from a robot into a building. And Tommy Hanks goes, well, "That's dumb. Like a kid doesn't want to play with he a goes, sky." What does it do? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, "What does it do?" Like like adults. Right. They think uh-huh. you know. And he's like, and he's trying to play with it and do stuff with it. And it just looks like a giant missile, but like a lane missile. It's a skyscraper. It's a stupid building. And he makes a great point that I've always held on to, and that I think about critics all the time. He's he's giving you the way it's going to be used, not the way your your marketing and your brains, your your adult brains, are thinking it's going to be used. And I think I think you need to approach this movie from the same way. So. I agree. This one was great. I mean, I do we have I mean, let's just do it real quick. Was this a Christmas movie, Mike? Of course. Yes. <laughs> it couldn't be anything else and it can't be at another time of year. So, absolutely yes. Would you like to do some fast facts with me? I would love that. I would love okay. that. Okay. I'm going to give you a quick short one first. So, this was the last Disney film until Aladdin, which was in 1992, to say 
The end at the end. It's not funny. I love it when stories do that. Something it's very fairy tale y and it, it makes me feel happy. Yeah, and it puts a bow on it, right? I mean, I it superhero superhero movies have kind of kind of ruined this, right? Because it's actually not the end, right? You really do have to stay to the end of the credits, which I know you you are a big proponent of. You and the and your kids are a big proponent <laughs> of and, and Tom and I do too, and we've been trained because of superhero movies, but when this thing says the end, there is a there is a nice fidelity to it. It makes it feel like you've wrapped it up a little bit and put a bow on it. In the same line, this is actually the last film that has opening credits and no end credits. When it says the end, it really is the end. It's done. Fascinating. I love that. But you know what? Again, kind of with little kids, that feels right. They have a lot of energy at the beginning and they'll sit through it. But at the end, they're like, done. How about uh, the Little Golden Book adaptation? It includes a scene early on that does not appear in the film itself. Possibly a deleted scene in which mickey trudges on home he stops to rest his feet and think about how his family's waiting for him he then arrives at his home to greet his family with minnie and telling him that she really wishes that scrooge was paying him better how do you feel about that do you wish that it was there Lucy taylor is not allowed to speak though we are not allowed to hear <laughs> Minnie. but do you wish that was there do you do you really feel like bob needs that no we know we, so. everyone knows that that he's being treated unfairly that comes across and and for efficiency of time again i would love to see the scene where scrooge during the christmas present uh, ghost of christmas present takes him by fred's house and he gets to see the family having fun without scrooge being there and them kind of talking trash about scrooge and how he's like a miser like that's a that's an impactful scene it, it drives home scrooge is missing out he's not present in his own life you know and he's missing the boat is going by but in the efficiency of time we get it you know it's more important to see the cratchit's home and the tiny food the lack of food that they have and the tiny tim and the crutch like that is much more important to the story so no i don't think i think it would have been more of a bummer than value added if they had added. and also kind of like we already know <laughs> we right. already know. Yeah. Everyone knows he isn't making any money. So no, no, no. So Pluto is the only uh, character of the Super Six or the Core Six Disney characters who actually doesn't appear in this film. Though there was an early storyboard draft idea that Pluto would have been a dog in a window of like a pet shop that we would have seen in the background that Scrooge would have passed on his daily trip back and forth from the counting house. Um, but they they axed that, and so Pluto doesn't appear in this movie at all. All right, so here's like a wacky one, Mike, a really wacky one to me. During the future segment, while the weasels are burying Scrooge, there's a tombstone in the background that reads Gladys Knight, referencing the Gladys Knight. Yeah, and I, yeah, actually, it's <laughs> the, the fact that it's actually Gladys Knight and the pips. It says the whole thing. It's kind of wild. What the joke? <laughs> Why would you just pick that? Random. And there's a, there's another tombstone that references a, a gentleman by the name of, uh, I forget his first name, but his last name is Oates. O-A-T-E-S. I believe he was a country singer at the time. Was it Hall and? No, no, it wasn't Hall and. No, I mean, I, I know uh, private eyes are watching We just you, said end the pips, so I don't know. Uh, and then, uh, then one of the animators, just one of the animators is also referenced on one of the tombstones. Wow. Huh. Uh, random how they pick these three, but the Gladys Knight and the Pips is a wild fact to that include. Yeah. That's funny that you said animators, because did you realize that John Lasseter of Pixar fame was actually an animator on this film? That seems like so long ago. That for seems him. so long ago, and and such at the beginning of this creature, uh, you know, career. Now he went on to make Pixar the empire that it was, but of course, 
you know, was forced to step down for some bad behavior in 2018, I believe, but has rebounded. It is no longer canceled. And I believe he's actually running Skydance uh, Animation Studios these days. Every Pixar movie that you love, John Lasseter is responsible for largely. He's here just one of the animators on this little movie. So kind of wild what happens in a 30 year career. So, uh, so in a, this is a fun little behind the scenes. Rusie Taylor, who I, I mentioned, took, takes over as Minnie Mouse here, who doesn't get to speak in this movie, and Wayne Allwine, who is doing the voice of Mickey Mouse for the first official time in this movie. They went on to get married in 1991. Oh, yeah. So Mickey, Mickey and Minnie really got married in real life. Oh, that 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 really makes my heart feel happy. I love, I love that. that. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Oh my gosh. I love you, Minnie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Mike, are you ready for some Jingle Bell ratings? Uh, I am, but before that, can I play you a clip from next week's movie? I had hoped you would. And I shall. You know the mansion on top of the mountain? It's haunted. Well, a long time ago, an inventor lived in that mansion. He made many things, I suppose. He also created a man. He gave him insides, a heart, a brain, everything. Well, almost everything. You see, the inventor was very old. He died before he got to finish the man he invented. So the man was left by himself, incomplete and all alone. He didn't have a name? Of course he had a name. His name was Edward. That was a long one, but I wanted to get to that end to get to that end punch. <laughs> well, I don't know very many Edward movies, um, but a man that is invented named Edward has got to be Edward Scissorhands. He's a man with hands for scissors. Nope, for scissors for hands. <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, nineteen nineties Edward Scissorhands, starring Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder. Was and- that Winona Ryder talking? It, I believe like old it is. Yes, it is. An, it is okay. an old makeup version, I believe, of Winona Ryder. It's what opens the movie, which you guys okay. can watch on Hulu currently. If you have subscribed to Hulu, it's available there to watch. So awesome! Well, I'm looking forward to that one. Okay, Mike, are you ready for some Jingle Bell ratings? I am. I am. Uh, do I go first this week? Yeah, you go first. Okay, so I think this is the best version of Christmas Carol as an entry for your youngsters. So it's going to score. I'm giving it nine Jingle Bells, which is what I gave the Muppets Christmas Carol. I think the Muppets Christmas Carol is more polished. I think it is slicker looking. Michael Caine is hard to beat as an Ebenezer Scrooge. But I think this is the definitive version. If you have little ones and you want to show them this story for the first time, I think you can't be going with this one. This also scores well for me because it it gets in, gets out, tells you the story, which is part of the entry version of it. But also, I have a huge soft spot for Scrooge McDuck. I love him to pieces. Uh, you know, I, I want to live in Duckburg with him and his friends. <laughs> and yeah, so you can't beat Scrooge for my money. So I'm giving it nine Jingle Bell uh, rating. 
Okay, I think I'm going to give this one a 9.25. And I'm not looking at my uh, spreadsheet. Mike has it. He always holds it. He won't ever let me see it. But, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> As I smoke my big Pete cigar. <laughs> he keeps it in a spreadsheet vault. So I'm not allowed to see it. However, I just feel like this is one of those ones that. It is so inoffensive. You you truly, there's something about Christmas that you just want it to be accessible to everyone. And I think that this one is the most accessible movie we've done across the board. Like, I really don't care how old you are. You can handle this. Even if you're a really little, little, it's just not that long. And and there's enough, like, sweet voices and songs and, and visuals that I think you stay engaged and I think that you could be an older person and and just sit down and kind of remember some of the things like you may have taken your kids to go see some Mickey Mouse movie or something like that if you're if you're just absorbing this on a different level. So for me, I mean, I don't know. There's just something universally sweet and loving about this version of Disney. It's sort of Disney at its best for me, where you're bringing in all the old gang and it's like it's like a reunion like of everybody, you know? And that just makes me really happy, especially at the holidays. So 9.25. I love it. I I, I am down for that rating 100%. Now, before we I say- I have to get you to get like a sound effect that goes like, for you to close the vault. <laughs> I thought you were doing a record scratch here because I was like, I got a record scratch sound. I can no, do that for no, you. No, that's me closing the spreadsheet <laughs> yeah, vault. It's like, chung, chung. Yeah, I'm like, it's like shutting you it put down it behind it so I can't get in there. <laughs> this is your crypt where the scores go. That's Pete doing that. Um, all right. So before we say goodbye, I want to yeah. quickly just go over now because this is the last version of a Christmas Carol we're going to be doing here. There's only 12 episodes okay. left. We only have 12 weeks left before Christmas. Guys, it. start your shopping. Have you started your shopping? If you haven't, you are going to be disappointed. You need to get out there. Listen, listen, people. Get it done. So to review, we did the classic cinema version of A Christmas Carol. That is Alistair Sims playing uh, Ebenezer Scrooge from 1951's Black and White. Very long, very... This is this is art. This is cinema, not just a movie version of A Christmas Carol. We did 1988's Scrooged, starring Bill Murray. Uh, doing an, an adaptation of a Christmas Carol story. That's the one where Carol Kane hits him in the face with a frying pan. Uh, we did 1983's Mickey's Christmas Carol. That's this one. And we did 1992's The Muppet Christmas Carol. Who is the best Scrooge? Who is the best Ebenezer Scrooge of those four? And overall, what is your personal favorite of those four? Ooch. Okay, I'm going to work a little backwards. Scrooge is my least favorite. Yes, because it's it's the least classically told and it it and it kind of steers away so far from too much. You know, I mean thinking of those solid gold dancers on the on the movies. On the staping movie staping antlers staping antlers to the to, to the, the mice. Yeah, yeah. That's the least one to me. So then I then I think it's such a it's such an important thing about your audience. Like I mean I think you could put this in order of like age. I think it's like you want to start off with Mickey when you're little and by the time you're about ten you're probably ready for the Muppets. And then after that you're probably ready once the kids go to bed or something and you want to like watch a more I don't even know what to say, mature, sophisticated version of it. Then you want to watch the Alistair Sims. So I don't know. I mean, I, can you really say like 
good, better, best on those? Or is it just like different stages of life? I think it's sort of like my Christmas past, my Christmas present, my Christmas future. Whoa. Yeah, like there's not one more important than the other. It's different stages of life, man. Okay, but to be clear, I'm not asking your, I'm not asking which one you think is the best. I'm asking your personal preference. So I can tell you, I will never watch the Alistair Sim, A Christmas Carol, Carol version again. I watched Neither it. I. I feel like I checked it off my list. <laughs> he is a great version of it. I understand why it is revered. It put me to sleep. I gave it eight jingle bells. Like it's a, it's a great movie that deserves all of the accolades that it's been given. That is my least favorite version, personally. Uh, it's probably technically the best of them, but it's the least watchable one for me. I will never watch it again. Scrooged. I'm gonna put though I still love Scrooge. I love the dark take on it and the dark humor of it. I think the solid gold dancers is hysterical. I like the idea of stapling antlers to mice. It was very funny to me. I like when Carol Kane smacks him in the face and beats him up and breaks his nose with the frying pan. I like it a lot, but it's my third uh least it's my third favorite telling of a Christmas Carol story. Then I'm gonna rank this one. Uh, for the same reasons I just gave the Jingle Bell ratings, I think the Muppet Christmas Carol for me is more enjoyable. If I had a very little child, this would be this Mickey's Christmas Carol would be the version I would be showing them. But I would be counting down the years until they were old enough to watch a Muppet Christmas Carol. For me, that remains my favorite one. And Michael Caine remains my favorite Ebenezer Scrooge. The guy is just so gosh darn good. He, I could listen to him read a phone book. I love him so much. I love him in that role. So for me, I'm up at Christmas Carol remains my favorite telling of that story. And I'm going to slink out with my stages of life and say it just depends on where you are. <laughs> it does. I, because right. I think if you're a dad in your like 50s, my dad in his 50s would watch Bill Murray over all the rest of this. But that's what I'm saying. What stage of life would it take for your dad to watch the Alistair Sim version of it, though? I don't know. It would be it would be rough. It would be yeah. I mean, it would have to be a very serious night at the Cubs' house. <laughs> that is for darn sure. But no, I'm with you. And you know what? That's kind of the cool thing about Christmas Carol. I mean, I've also seen it live on stage, and, I, and to be honest with you, that was the scariest version I've ever seen um, because they made the bed spin and the and the ghosts were were legit scary when they came out um and i was an adult i wasn't a kid that's something that's so special about the story itself is that it can be told in so many different ways with so many different um like little touches or little tweaks or or just it depends on if you've got kermit there or mickey there or you've got bill murray or whomever like it's all gonna hit you at different points in your life and i think that makes this this particular story and why we've hit it four times, you know, just the quintessential Christmas story. You should watch it. How about this? My recommendation is you should watch it in some form every year. And mm. it's up to you where you are in your life. If you needed a little bit more dark comedy or if you need a little bit more uh, optimist, optimistic Mickey voice in your life or whatever you need, you should watch some version of Dickens Christmas Carol every year. I love that. This is Caroline. <laughs> and this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Listen to Caroline equivocate upon all the different Christmas carols every week here on uh, 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. And if you could go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe, that would be fantastic. And while you're there, please, please uh, leave us a five-star rating. And if you do, I can tell you, God bless us everyone. Thanks for listening. 
Boy, oh boy! <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.